Hey up friends, how's it going? Matt here, you are listening to episode 223 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and look at life through the lens of snowboarding, surfing and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to this episode, I hope you enjoy it. If you're one of the new listeners that I picked up after the skin episode, then welcome. Hope you enjoy this one and I hope you're enjoying digging in to the back catalogue. So I've got Thomas Campbell on the show again this week, artist, director, um, I mean, general creative powerhouse. Like I said, when I had him on last year, certainly one of the most influential creative presences in all of Sideways culture of the last 30 years, I'm going to say. Um, definitely not not an exaggeration, not hyperbole, that one. Uh, came about in quite an interesting way, round two. If you've been with me for a while, you'll know that I shifted the home of Looking Sideways to Substack. You can find me at lookingsideways.substack.com. Did that a couple of years ago. That enabled me to do much more than just put out podcasts. Uh, I do a weekly 10 Things newsletter, which comes out every Friday, which is very popular. You can sign up for that at the aforementioned URL. Many, many thousands of people getting that every week. And... um Apparently people really like it, so that's nice. I also put out essays and stories written by me, contributions from guests, friends of the show. And I also do these great open threads where, friend, I mean, they're basically like those AMA things, ask me anything things, where friends of the show um, kindly come on and answer questions from listeners and readers. It's a written thing usually, so people, it's a thread. So it's called an open thread. So basically people leave a question and then the guest answers the question Definitely one of my favourite recent additions to the Looking Sideways universe. I've had snowboarder Jeremy Jones talking about his career as a pro snowboarder and um, as an activist. Finister founder Tom Kay, Natural Selection Honcho Liam Griffin, Chris and Lewis from the Big C talking about that documentary. Quite a lot of blokes actually now I think about it. Going to have to sort that one out. So anyway, I had a month or so off in the podcast over December and January and I was beginning to think about stuff to do in the new year. And as the first Thomas Campbell episode went down so well, and myself and Thomas got on extremely well during that chat, and we've stayed in touch since, which has been very nice, I thought I'd chance it and see if he was up for doing an open thread. And he was. But he very fairly said, as long as we can do it as a conversation rather than me having to type all the answers, which is fair enough, really. So a couple of weeks ago, I posted the open thread anyway, and I asked listeners and readers if they had any questions for Thomas which they did. And there were some brilliant ones. Thomas agreed to donate a signed print to his favourite question from a paid subscriber, which is, i got to say, is a hell of a prize, really. Um, got some good prizes for paid subscribers. Gave away a snowboard the other day, which um, winner Chris Collicott was obviously very stoked about. Anyway, so I gave it a couple of weeks that so people could whack questions on the open thread. And then in late January... 2024 I headed to the shed because I'm back in the UK now jumped on the old mojo wire to uh, paraphrase Hunter S Thompson and sat down with Thomas to go through them all and it was a lot of fun um even though I had a beer which went straight to my head halfway through which is quite funny like the last time I think it perhaps it took Thomas a little while to warm up um which I think is probably my fault for starting with a pretty serious question about whether artists have an obligation to have an opinion about current political and geopolitical events, which was submitted by listener and reader Chris Sayer, very much a friend of the show. Um, 
But, you know, once we got into it, this turned out to be the same brilliantly entertaining discursive chat about life, art, surfing, music, creativity and the rest of it. Thomas turned the tables on me, started asking me a few questions, which is always a bit comedy. And we had a right laugh. And um, I hope that comes across because I think we do very much enjoy talking to each other. And I'm definitely going to look him up when I head over to California next. And I've got to say, as a new format, I really liked this. Um, I, You know, I quite like experimenting with different formats over the years i'm going to put this out as an entire conversation as a transcription on substack if that's your jam given that it was originally supposed to be written as an open thread i mean people are always asking for transcripts and substack does have like a transcript function but to be honest it's terrible and needs a proper edit and i'm going to get chat gp to edit that in perhaps the most 2024 sentence i have um yet said uttered so that'll be on the site as well the substack site a transcription of this one once i get my shit together to sort that out anyway as usual let me know what you think and my thanks to thomas for taking the time to participate in another ace conversation much appreciated and like i say very much looking forward to doing the same thing in person at some point in the future so i'll be back at the end but in the meantime here's me and thomas campbell redux enjoy when we last spoke i was in normandy i think your hair is longer yeah i need a haircut pretty badly <laughs> it's full mullet <laughs> i know i basically normally do like one haircut a year and then um it's it's due how are you are you well yeah man can't can't complain yeah well thank you for this much appreciated how, how long do you have for this i don't know what do you need uh yeah we've got like 20 good questions i think so i'm good i figure we just uh just just give it a go eh? okay but um before we start did you did you check out the skin episode uh no i didn't uh it's uh yeah have a listen love to know what you think um what'd you say i said i'd love to know what you think he's uh yeah he's had a difficult time i think yeah by the sounds of it uh and he was very yeah as you might imagine very frank about that very open about that so it's actually had quite a big impact that episode i think a lot of people have been like whoa okay heavy um but yeah he he i I mentioned that we sort of vaguely knew each other and he uh yeah he also reminisced about that trip that you guys did back in the day so he was yeah similarly fond memories oh yeah that was that was amazing yeah, and then I stayed with him for like two months after, in South Wales. Yeah, in Wales. Yeah, in Swansea. So he's back in Swansea. Yeah, that's where I went to see him. No, that's that's where I stayed with him. I stayed with him in his parents' house. Yeah, but when I saw him two weeks ago, he's back in Swansea. Basically. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he's uh, he's bought a place there, and he's he's kind of cruising there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um. Cool, man. All right. So, yeah, you saw the deal, didn't you? So I got about, yeah, there's about 15 to 20 questions. Let's see how we get on. And I figure we'll just do it pretty straight up. Like I'll read the question. Um, and, I'm good. I'm, I, I got time. I'm not, I'm not pressed for time. So. Great. 
All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to start with two that I thought were really interesting, actually, because they were vaguely political. So the first question, this one's from Chris Sayer. And he asks, um, we live in a world that demands everybody takes a side in an argument, no matter how knowledgeable they are on the subject, and that everything is at risk of having political or social context adding to it. With that in mind, do you think this is impacting art for art's sake? <clears throat> Just start with that one. Yeah, I think... I don't know. That's obviously a pretty loaded, big question. <clears throat> and uh, I guess I would say like, um, yeah, I would say I would say it is impacting everything. Um, I would say that <clears throat> I don't think that this is the main uh, kind of interplay of the conversation uh i would say that that we're just really in a uh corporate corporatocracy where the people that really make the decisions are not the people we vote for it's the people that own the people we vote for um so i feel like uh and, and that's that. This is this is not conspiratorial. This is factual. This is what where we're at. <clears throat> and um, so, I do feel like I mean personally, I I feel more. I feel less connected to any sides. Uh, um, and obviously, in like the last five years. I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of like looking into like the structure of things um, on that corporatization level and on just kind of like what the structure is of, of our world. And, uh, and I've, I've been pulling back. I've been, I feel like I'm more in an observer mode. And um, I think this person's right when people are making these big judgments on things that, they don't know about and you will never know about. Um, and I, and I, I understand that I was a sidist and, uh, and I feel less, I feel like I, I'm more an observer at the moment and I'm trying to just kind of take in what's happening and, and actually try to focus really on, what's really around me, you know, and, uh, be, be a good father and be present and try to be healthy, <clears throat> work on my health and, uh, work on the things that are close, close in proximity to myself. And, uh, <clears throat> I think, I think it is a really confusing time. Um, but I, I guess to get to the end, end of it, I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of this this uh, divisionary tactics, the the these this nature of things is is really about control, and if if you can have, you know, everyone pitted against each other, they're they're easier to control than if 
their free thinking and um, connected to, you know, I, I think we're multidimensional beings. And I, I feel like uh, by nature of our societal movement that we're reduced to like uh, living on a quarter or a half of a dimension. And I think this friction is really compounding us into our most simplistic nature. And uh, I think that hopefully um, that we can expand beyond that into, you know, our multidimensional selves. And, and I, I'm not here to, I'm on the journey as well as anyone else. I can't say, I can't say anything. All, all I can say is I'm, I'm, I'm on the journey and, and uh, we're all on the journey. So I can't, I can't say do this or do that or anything. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just trying to duct tape it together myself. So, uh, I think I think the the thing I think about in general is I think about how do we have more empathy and compassion for others. Um, uh, you know, I I I come from a a country that's based on on a, on a war machine, you know, and uh, is currently manipulating every country in the world and manipulating through force and my feeling the idea of it being based around uh, uh, democracy and being a bastion of democracy is absolute garbage it's not that's not what it is it's a, it's about corp corporatization and control and 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 the this the taking of money and resources really into people's pockets it's not it's not about it's not about love or compassion or diplomacy and that's what i wanted to get to is diplomacy it's like if you really are for democracy you would be for diplomacy and you would want to, to the betterment of all people and you know like i'm not going to get into like israeli gaza shit um but but I think in the end of the day, where is diplomacy? Where is it? Where is the compassion and love for this world and people? And when you find that, those are the people to follow, you know? And, and I don't fuck war. Fuck that shit. You know, that's, that's not where it starts. That's, that's where it ends. It's like talking and being wanting the best for people. So anyway. Yeah. So somebody sent him a question like, do you not feel like you should be commenting on Israel Gaza? And he just replied, no, <laughs> which, which I thought was great. But there, there is this real pressure to comment on things as, as any type of public figure. Do you, do you get that yourself? Do you get people trying to elicit opinions from you about these topics? Um, I, I used to, um, I used to be uh, more political 
I, I used to be political. And um, I, like I said, I used to be a sadist. And um, I, I think I had, um, I think I had f- faith in the structure of the political. Yeah, I think I had faith in the political structure. And um, the more that I did kind of my research and looking into what is, um, I, I, I've backed away from that. And um, it's funny because some people will comment to me about things I said years ago and be like, you said this or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's what I thought then, you know? And it's also... I. I feel like there's a, it's scary, like the idea of like canceling and all that stuff. It's like, you know, we're all, like I said, we're all on journeys Mm. and and we're, we're, our ideas are changing. I think they're changing all the time. You know, hopefully we're evolving. Hopefully, you know, and, and I, and I'm not at an end point. I'm, I'm where I am and I was where I was. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I know I don't know, you know, I know I don't know. And I, yeah. and I, and I know that, that there's, there's people out there, the people that really run the world, the, the people that really own everything, you know, they're, they're pulling the strings. And, and we don't vote for them and we never will. And, uh, I, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm trying to get my own head wrapped around what's going on. And I'm confused and, and I'm, I don't feel in any position to be telling anyone anything. I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, the way that I look at it is if I've, if I've, do you feel like I have a clearly formed view about something then, and that usually is is it a, a view that I've arrived at carefully with consideration then I'm then I'm happy to voice that opinion but if I don't feel like I've got anything to add to it or I don't really know enough about it then I, I've got no interest in talking about that topic at all and yeah I'm not like it just feels very reductive to to try and boil every issue down to you're either with us or you're against us um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure how helpful that is personally. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Is like in, in, in our country, you know, there's like these two political parties and, and, um, I, I just feel like, I feel like it's, it it's so, it's so separatist. So it's like, okay, I don't want to be you don't think like me. So fuck you. I want to think, I want to think like, Hey, what's up? How do we connect? What we're just weird animals on a weird planet, probably intervened by aliens at some point, you know, like, like the idea that we're not is ridiculous, you know, uh, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so, it, 
like if you get outside of the earth, the expansion is so beyond comprehension. So it's like, start there, you know, start, start by reducing yourself to like a, a molecule, you know, like we're, we're nothing. So yeah, I just like, say for instance, you know, like in, we, we have a really reduced system of education in this country. And, you know, like it's, it's not expansive and, you know, say like some guy named Joe that grew up in, in Iowa, out in the middle of Iowa and his dad was racist and, uh, you know, homophobic and whatever. And his dad or mom, and they, they projected that those ideas onto him. And then he went to school and most of the people in his school were based around that. And, and, you know, like our life is based upon circumstance, you know, it's a based upon circumstance of having, having, interaction with different information on people. And if Joe never ever had any, anything that would expand him beyond those views, why would you, why would you, why would you expect Joe to have views beyond that? You know, and, and, you know, like, I just think like, it comes back to that same diplomacy empathy thing. It's like, Hey Joe, what's up? You know? Oh, maybe we might, we might not think the same, but do I have to be mad at you for not thinking like me? You know, like, and, and I've had some, some, had a conversation maybe like, I don't know, two years ago with a, with a person uh, that is a, a good friend of mine and has very different views than me. And I, and I, during this conversation, they were talking about, uh, some mutual friends of ours that were gay. And this person had very different views than me and, uh, whatever I, I personally, I think whoever you want to love, however you want to love, like whatever, I don't care. I don't care. What, what, whatever, you know, whoever wants to love, whoever, fine. Love is the key. So go for it. Love. Right. Um, this person had different views and, um, I realized when I was talking to them and I don't know what made the switch, but I was, I was just listening and I, and I found that probably, because I was just listening, I got, I got them and, and I expressed the person knew my thoughts and I expressed some things of what I thought, but I, but the, the thing that I realized was that I was listening. So I got a deeper level of understanding from this person about their viewpoint more deep than I'd ever gotten. And instead of me taking the time of our discussion to change the person's mind to think the same that I thought, 
I was open and I learned more because I was open. And I realized that I'd probably spent most of my life doing the other. And, and it was a real breaking point for me, like to, to try to be, to try to listen better and try to be, you know, like have a deeper life experience with people than having these viewpoints and trying to like, you know, bang them over people's heads till they thought the same thing I think. And anyway, yeah, like I said, it's just learning and I'm just, I'm, I'm fumbling around through the dark like everyone else. Okay. So next question. This one is from, I think it's John Baylor. If it's Joe Baylor, I apologize, Joe. John Baylor. I know who he is. Okay. John Baylor. He's a curator. Yeah. So you've done some work with. Okay. If you were approached to make a film with a more than healthy budget, what story would you tell or highlight that is current in surfing? People, location, music. So is this an offer, John? <laughs> kind of sounds like it. Um, I have some ideas. I was thinking about them today. Actually, I was thinking about them about 20 minutes ago. Um, but, you know, like after I get off this interview, I'm going to, get back on the same computer and be finishing my new surf movie, working on it, which is coming along well. Um, I I think as far as what uh, my interests are is like, I just really, I just really like, the story of of like what's happening with designs and surfing and i really like i really like the pairing of like board design and then then like proper engagement of design like i feel like there's a there's a huge lack of like there's a lot of people in in like kind of very uh, dominant or, or, uh, held at a high regard level in surfing these days that are like taking designs from like historical designs and then, you know, modern modernizing them, but then not actually engaging the design features in the board in their surfing. Like they'll, be surfing a front footed surfboard off their back foot and looking to me lame. So (laughs) a lot of the people that I see that are kind of being brought to the front, to the fore of kind of, uh, alternative craft, uh, to me don't, don't look good. So I, I, I like the idea of maybe telling more stories around, design and showing 
the proper engagement and, and discussing about, about that. And I mean, I think generally the people that I work with, like I, I, I just won't, won't work with people that don't engage their boards properly. And um, like, I think if you look at the people that I work with, I mean, to me, they're the best of that genre, but I mean, whatever we all, we all have our own views and, and uh, yeah. So John, if you, if you, if you have a lot of money and I want to talk, <laughs> give me a call and we can discuss it, but yeah. And whatever, all, always the same thing, like engaging music, engaging vibe, engaging graphic imagery, just all the things that are, that I do, whatever I'm, I, I like, I like making films and, and I like making engaging imagery and, and hopefully you end up wanting to run out the door and go surfing. So that's, that's the hope. Well, this, this next one is, is about music actually. So this is a friend of mine who I, um, I'm currently working on. He's a music producer. I'm currently working on a project with, he asks in your interview, this is Ben Townsend in your interview with Matt, you talked about the naivety of a band's first album and how that can often be their greatest work. I found that really interesting. I was wondering if you follow learned methods or paths these days when you set out on a new project or do you, just try and get back to that first feeling essentially are you a big planner or a fuck it i'm sure it'll be okay when we get going kind of guy you mean when when i'm when i'm recording records i think he probably means generally um as a process because obviously what we talked about was that that first album magic in the case of music being the the the, you know the, the lack of experience the the innocence maybe like contributing to what made it great but obviously as you become more experienced your approach sort of evolves and perhaps differs so i think he i think he's asking about all your all your different practices but we can focus on music if you want well i mean i i don't know how relatable that is to everything um, I would say with the music stuff, the reason I say that is like generally when people make their first records, they've been writing for a while and they have quite a bit of stuff and they don't really know what they're doing. So they're just trying their best to get their emotion through the the, the basic uh, access they have to like their instruments and their voice. So they're really trying and... Um, and there's a primitiveness usually to that and an authenticity. And that's generally, I think why the first records are the really good ones. And the second one, second ones generally fall short because they don't have material left. (laughs) And, and then they have to, if they were successful with the first one or very successful, then they have to like try to scrap the next one together really quickly so, um, you, whatever, it's a phenomena. Uh, I, I feel like in my art practice, 
I think with everything at this point, like I feel like it's a snowball, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a snowball and I've been rolling down the hill for a long time. (laughs) And it's just, you know, like, it's just like, you're just picking up tricks. Like you're like, Oh, I fucked up like that. Oh, but that's good. Oh, that's how you fix it. By like, you learn from that fuck up. And then it's just like one thing you learn little, little tiny things, just learning and learning and continuing on the path. So, um, I, are you, are you getting recording? Yeah. 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 Still going. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And, um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know about the night. I, I, I do plan certain things. Um, other things are rhythmic. Like yesterday I was just like at my studio and, um, I find it really helpful to just like start sewing and not care where it goes. And it, and it, it's like rewiring. It's like taking mushrooms or something. It's like, it's just rewiring everything to be like, Oh, just go. And it's okay. If you don't get anywhere, because in the journey, you're going to learn some shit and, and, and like, and Oh, that seems like a weird thing to do. Try it. Don't worry if it doesn't work out. Cause that's a cool thing with sewing. The kind of sewing pieces I make is like when I sew them, the more I fuck up and put stuff back together, the better it ends up looking because it's more worked and it has more life. So it helps me be less afraid of making mistakes. So now that I've fully avoided the question, <laughs> is is that helpful? I think I think it it made I like the snowball analogy because I, I I recognize it and yeah it makes sense. I mean I I think the point is you can never go back to the naivety of that those first attempts, can you? You know no. you just you just can't do it. Like I mean that's why there's so many shit second albums about. How or, or how, or how awful how awful touring is, you know? Like <laughs> it's like it's because you can't go back to that original state, can you? You know? Yeah. Okay, so no, I mean, this is a topical one, but we'll we'll see what you think. Paul Adams, as a visual artist, do you see AI as an opportunity to expand your vision, a threat to your way of working, or largely an irrelevance? Um, I, what I will say about AI is that I'm uninformed. Um, I, I haven't, I realize it's there, um, in my naivety or also my lack of movement towards educating myself, I'm just continuing on my path. And everything seems okay at the moment. So I don't know, you know, like I, I, I hope that, you know, like having a vision and doing things with your hands will, <laughs> will sustain me. Um, uh, there's just like, there's so many things, there's so many different things going on 
um, that it's really hard to like take it all in and, and feel okay. You know, like, I, I don't know, you know, like I said before, I have a little kid. I have a seven year old daughter. Her name's Fawn. And, and honestly, one of my biggest, one of my biggest thing goals every day is just like to be present to her, you know, like, and just to be like, what's up? Hey, I see you. What are we doing? And, and I don't know. I understand AI is happening and I, I don't know. I don't. I do know that like being present to her and, and, uh, trying to keep things simple is, uh, is working. So I'm trying to work on that. I'm not, I'm not, maybe, maybe AI is something that can be integrated in the future, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to deal with my archaic model currently. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, kind of... I just have like my, my, my I, like, it, I don't think it's romantic. It's just age appropriate. It's just like, <laughs> to me, I'm just like, I want to read some books. Um, I like going and making things with my hands. I prefer shooting on a film camera than on a video camera. Um, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just coming at it from where I come at it from, and and I feel like everyone's racing by. Yeah, and that's fine. It's quite liberating that though, isn't it? I remember when the NFT yeah. thing sort of was going on a couple of years ago. So it was like all everybody spoke about like NFTs. What are you doing about NFTs? I remember having a couple of conversations with friends who were who were really into it and were really like, you know, really like telling me I really needed to like understand it, really needed to like, and I was just a bit like, I just have not got the headspace for that. <laughs> I'm going to let that one go. I, I mean, I thought about it. I thought, oh, do I need to worry about this? Do I need to? Um, I think we have the same thoughts. Yeah. I was just a bit like, do you know what? I just don't, this, I could clone myself and, and worry about that. But I kind of feel a bit like that with AI. Like I run a business um, when I'm not doing this and I've got like a, a kind of a mentor character who's very helpful, you know, in helping me navigate that world. But he's really on the AI thing at the minute. He just, every time I see him, he's like, you know, what, what's the plan with AI? And I'm a bit like, I don't have a plan. <laughs> just kind of ignore it until it's unignorable. That's the plan right now, really. Right. And and I don't I also don't have a particular view on it either. Like that's another thing that um Well if you don't know Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, but, but that's the thing. No one knows anything about anything. And everyone's talking like they know everything. They don't. Yeah. And like you said earlier, you can't really. Like oh. that's why I find I know we said we weren't going to talk about um let's just say um, incredibly complicated global political situations. Let's just say that 
when I f- see people like discussing it in with what seems to them like total clarity, I'm a bit like, I, 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 I don't look at it like that. And I don't know where you're getting that from <laughs> to feel like you can, well, where you're getting it from is, is what you're being fed by the algorithm primarily. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's, that's a question on the algorithm. So we'll come to that in a minute, but before we do uh, a bit of a simpler question, Christian Germain, uh, what keeps you curious? You know what? I think I think that uh, playfulness and having fun and that snowball thing I was talking about before, it's like it's just there, you know, I put in enough time and I, if, you know, like when I'm painting or when I'm doing whatever, generally fun is not very far away, you know, like if I just put in the time, it's generally enjoyable. So I have pathways to enjoyment and, um, and yeah, and I, I think like, you know, historically, and I might might have touched on this before, but like I'm not I'm I'm always been like I've always really liked artists that I feel like had a lot of fun. Regardless if Bob Picasso was an asshole or whatever the fuck he was you look at his work and you're like, this guy's probably has the most fun. Like that to me, like that, that ability. And like, especially like in the latter part of his life, just there, this looks like he has having a fucking great time making (laughs) what he's making. And like, and same with Warhol, you know, like you're just like, man, just, like his silkscreen stuff and his paintings and his like paintings with John Michelle and whatever, and John Michelle too, you know, whatever. Uh, and you're just like, there's an, there's an immediacy and, and color and fun, um, that, you know, and, and within the context of like that structure is, is a lot of communication of feelings and emotion but there's an access to enjoyment and and dexterity and you know play that you know keeps me engaged and keeps me inspired okay this one is from rich mitchell this might be a british thing but why is music and art mainly made by left wing folk are right-wingers missing a creative gene? Hell of a question, that. Hmm. I was actually trying to think of some famous right-wing... I, I can only really come up with Ted Nugent <laughs> when I was, when I was well, thinking well, of that. I mean, I think that that's... It's interesting. I was just listening to uh 
Willie Nelson's autobiography, uh, which, you know, I'm not a huge Willie fan, but I, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to autobiographies and I, and I actually really enjoy, mostly I enjoy autobiographies before the person's career gets started. I just really like the sense of time and place and um, those kind of unofficial histories of different places. Which... Before before you get into it, I might have mentioned this in our last conversation, but have you, the, the, Rudolf Nureyev, the, the the Russian dancer, his biography is, if you like that type of thing, is is very worth a read. Cool. Because um, that story's just, yeah. To go from there, like, born on a train in the Soviet Union to, like, where he got to is quite a tale. Um, anyway, sorry, you Amazing. were saying. Um, um, Willie. Yeah, but anyway, he's he's really interesting because he's very, he's like in the scent. Like, I mean, country music in uh, in our country is you know has whatever. That's a an extremely deep genre, which is primarily right. Yeah, fair. Yeah, right, right of course. And, um, and highly expressive and um, beautiful and not beautiful and everything. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just interesting seeing how he was and, and he was just like, he's inspiring because he's just like, you know, like he has all these different friends. He was, he was talking about, there was a band he was in called the highwaymen and it was with Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. I think it was Waylon Jennings. Or I think it's Waylon Jennings. I could be wrong. It could be. Uh, yeah, I think it's Waylon Jennings. It might not be Waylon. It might be. Uh, shit. <laughs> uh, I think it's Waylon, but I couldn't. Okay. I couldn't. I couldn't be but certain. It, but anyway, I think it is Waylon. He was talking about the political views within that band. And, and, and I thought that was, he was like, you know, we, I just don't talk about that stuff with these guys because we're all on such different, he's like, Waylon's way over here. And Johnny's, you know, Johnny's, Johnny's a, a true patriot of America, but he's, he's more invested in like the rights of Native Americans, you know? Yeah. And then Chris Christopherson's super left and like, is like talking shit about everything because he, you know, he's just out in that way. So, uh, I, I mean, I agree. I agree with the left to right, um, the left to right idea of creativity in, in, in a lot of ways. But I think it, I think it also, I think it, it comes down to that thing of not, I think it's easy to say that, but I feel like if you're open to other people and not into the, and not attached to your sideism, you might find that that's not the truth or the case. Well, know? I guess I guess it also relates to that. You you alluded to it earlier that separating the art from the artist thing, doesn't it? You know, you mentioned Picasso. Um, yeah. I think it is quite a British trope that as well. I think it is quite a British kind of take on creativity because it's particularly 
it's very difficult to think of anyone on the on the right in the UK really because I mean that isn't completely you know rubbish. But I, f- I kind of forgot about country music because it was that um, big controversial thing, wasn't there recently? I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm, I'm I'm being too vague. I can't quite remember it, but it was a bit like you know, don't come to this town. Kind of was the theme of the <laughs> of the song, which is huge. Um, and yeah, like it is, like you say, it's it's a it's that that genre is pretty pretty right leaning, isn't it? Yeah, and I I'm I'm a fan, as you might have gathered. So. You know what's you know what's really weird. Um, I don't know if you know this, and this is this is pretty interesting. It's it's like. And I mean, I think he's probably a huge war criminal is like uh, George Bush Jr. Um, I mean, I, I think probably all, if historically, probably all American presidents put, if they were put up in an equal fashion to war criminals would all be war criminals, you know? Um, but, uh, or, you know, all modern maybe besides Jimmy Carter. Uh, but, um, what was he going to say? Uh, what does Bush do? Does he, is he, is he oh, like some kind oh. of incredible baker or something? <laughs> Have you ever seen his paintings? No. I knew you were going to say something like this. Yeah, they're kind of great. Right. And, so, and it's totally bizarre. Like so he's, on, he's on the ranch just banging out his paintings in his check retirement. Check him out. Check him out. He does right. like... He did like uh, he did a book of like portraits of like these uh soldiers and they're they're pretty bizarre right like they have like weird skin tones and like they're just and they're good they're kind of, they're kind of good i actually well i mean this is where we talk about hitler's watercolors isn't it but um but i actually listened to an interview recently with a guy called alistair campbell well not an interview he's got a podcast you know i don't know if you know who he is but he's a pretty famous political figure in the uk he was like tony blair's um media guy so when when um bush and blair were sort of planning the uh iraq war you know so campbell was in those rooms and he said he was really likable <laughs> he was like george bush jr stand-up guy you know good good laugh <laughs> good good jokes you know and now good there you go good painter as well um i will yeah. check that out i did not maybe, know that and as soon as you said that i was like he's gonna he's gonna be a sculptor or something isn't he maybe biggest tyrant ever and yeah decent painter and there he is pottering around the ranch in texas yeah um okay so this one is from jen shirowski friend of mine um writer from portland well lives in portland would be interesting to hear Thomas's point of view on the algorithm. Has he noticed the things that people like and are responding to from a creative perspective being shifted by the way the internet serves up things to us? Is there still room for real discovery versus you like this before, so here's another thing like that? Good question. Yeah, I think... I think we're all being thrown into the meat grinder on that one, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's another... I've, I've not had any George Bush paintings served up, so it would suggest so. Well, not not till later today. Yeah, when I check Instagram later and it's there it is straight away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm also like I'm a little I'm naive and kind of like half in, half out. Uh, you know, like I have I have I participate in Instagram probably not on a very good level. Like my girlfriend the other day was like, you got to post more pictures of yourself painting. People like it because she works in that field. And I'm just like, uh, I feel like I already do that too much, you know? And like, it feels like a little bit too much like me, me, me. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I don't know. I don't. So I, I, I would say I'm not very knowledgeable. I would say that for like personally, you know, like I think in this Instagram is just based around wanting you to spend money to like get people to look at your shit. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not really doing that very much. So the amount of people that actually see what I post compared to like how many people follow me seems not right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's official. I don't know. How do you find things then? Cause what I, what I've kind of realized is that a lot of it for me is like just, connections like you know being into fight like you know like for example the Nerea thing that i just spoke about yeah that was because i read a, something about him in another book you know and then i was like oh that sounds interesting and then next thing i know i'm like reading the Nerea biography and watching the Nerea documentary and those connections that kind of put you on a a path of discovery you know um and I really enjoy that. Like I really enjoy that um, finding things out for their own sake. You know, that happens in music as well, doesn't it? You know, you like listen to a record or, and you're like, oh, who produced that? Oh, that guy produced that. Oh, what else did he do? You know, like, and you sort yeah. of then start making these cumulative connections. Is that kind of how it is for you with your interests? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always searching for whatever. You know, like if I see something, I'll be like, oh, what's that? And I'm more likely to like, instead of like looking at Instagram, if I like something, like I might follow a lead or I'll just go straight to the internet and start like looking like what, who's this artist, you know? Yeah. Um, like I feel like, say for instance, like I'm probably when I get my movie done, I'm going to start working more in oils. Um, that that's a plan um, to start exploring that. So I've been kind of like looking at different artists that I like and trying to like understand how they make great paintings um, in a medium that I'm not familiar with per se. I've painted in oils, but badly. And um, <clears throat> so I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I have my willy nilly way of looking at things. And then like, I seem, I seem like a little bit like, uh, with music, I feel like, I feel like I know, like there's a certain area 
like I never wanted to be like the old guy that was like, I don't really like new music. <laughs> and uh and I'm I'm afraid that I'm verging on that. And um like but but what I've kind of realized is that I feel like as you're growing up, you kind of have like these you learn a certain thing that's kind of the foundation of like what you like. And that's, and that's, and it's like an Island or like a tectonic plate, which is like moving. And then, you know, then, then things are changing. And then the way that the new music is being made is kind of based on a a different tectonic plate structure where people, you know, people are coming from a different thing. And I just, I don't relate. Like people are like, this is great. And I'm like, not to me, you know, like, and it might happen some other time. I'm not, op- I'm not, I don't, I try not to like be to completely disparaging of the music. I, is it working? Yes or no. Uh, could it work some other time? Yes. I mean, I'm finding like, music is some things that have worked for me for my whole life are not working anymore. Oh, really? Like what? Um, As in like records that were go-tos or artists that you used to be passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, I don't even want to talk about, I don't want to say them because they're friends of mine. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) No, it's interesting that though, because I've had a similar thing recently where, um, so I was just curious and equally I've, I've found myself that point you made earlier. I read somewhere that like, you know, age 17 sort of sets your musical tastes in stone, you know, and, um, I, you know, I, I'm sort of, I guess late eighties, I started to become very passionate about music and really found myself going back to that particular, um, not even for like really nostalgic reasons, just, just the sound. I've just like kind of craved to the particular sound. This well, is sort I, of like, like Susie and the Banshees, like weirdly, you know, just that, or like Bauhaus, like just, just that, that, that moment. It's that, the best. But that moment in time, like, you know, that, that, that it, that, that sound was so of its time. Yeah. But, but obviously the songs were so good that they still sound great now. Okay. I want to ask you some stuff. far away so well it's not supposed to be about that but (laughs) why not let's 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 be free let's be free far away so i was thinking about this the other day actually um or multiple things this is interesting so i remember i remember seeing Susie and the banshees with love and rockets opening and love and rockets was at it was at it was an outdoor venue and it was at sunset And it was like, and I was very high. I was probably like 17, maybe 18, probably 17. And uh, it was, it was just the best. And, and I I remember getting high with my friends and, and listening. I remember listening to Bela Lugosi's Dead, which is essentially is a dub record. Well, you know, and that was the demo. I know. know. I mean, that is fucking crazy. I only learned that the other day. I know. And, and, and essentially it's a, I never even thought about it till recently because I've been working on some music and we've been referencing it as 
being dubbed. But anyway, so we're listening to that, getting really high, smoking weed, go to, to it. It's just insane. Like, Love and Rockets are perfect. And, and like, it's right at sunset. It's insane. And then Susie comes out and totally murders it, right? <laughs> like, it was, it was so good. It was just so wonderful, you know, and uh, just like a, a high point. And I was with my friend Jeff Hatter and my friend Andy Viceroy and maybe my friend Rob. And, uh, but anyway, then last week I was just thinking about, I was thinking about Bauhaus and I was thinking about a similar idea to, to what you were talking about, about like that just being like, just Bauhaus is just so wide open creativity, you know, and just feeling and just expression. And, you know, they probably didn't even really know how to play that well, but they were just free. Well, apparently their- they'd, they'd only been together about two weeks when they recorded that song. Which yeah. is which is yeah. just amazing, isn't it? You know, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here, isn't it? That naivety of of um, expression, you know. Yeah, and freedom, and uh, but I was thinking that I don't know if you know this record, but do you know the 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 live record? Press the eject and give me the tape. The Bajas record. No. Oh my god! Like it's it's the best. Okay. Like it's, I down. think it's I think it's the best of all the things. For me, and it's just like it's so raw and visceral and like punk and just whatever. Just I I love them. I love one time actually I met uh I met David J at a garage sale. Wow. Do you you want to hear the story? Yeah, please do. Do you know what? Right. I've got one. I'm going to grab a beer. It's just outside the shed before you uh, fire in. It's beer o'clock over here. One sec. Especially if you're about to tell me a good story like this. Right, there we go. So where was this? So this was in Encinitas, or this was in Lucadia next to Encinitas in San Diego County. And I lived there when I was the photo editor at Skateboarder Magazine in like 98, 99. And um, that's when I made the seedling when I lived there. And um, anyway, I'd woke I'd woken up. It was a Sunday morning and I... And I drove, I think I drove down to Swami's and maybe I drove all the way up to like Pono, like this other area. Like I was just driving around looking for waves and I was listening to, I was listening to Seventh Day of the Teenage Dream, the first Love and Rockets record. I actually don't know this band Love and Rockets. I'm going to have to, sorry to jump in, but I'm just going to write that down as well. Love and Rockets is basically Bauhaus without Peter Murphy. Okay, right. I didn't know that. Right. Okay. Really? You don't know Love and Rockets? No. Wow. You are so lucky. (laughs) Brilliant. So then another another thing you need to know, if you don't know, is 
so after Love and Rockets, Peter Murphy went, and I think Peter Murphy went and did a thing called Dally's Car with Mick Karn of Japan. Which I have, which I have heard of, yeah, because it's okay. the Japan connection, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, Daniel Ash, or yeah, Daniel Ash and Kevin Haskins went and made Tones on Tail. And if you haven't heard Tones on Tail, they have a record called Pop, which is one of the best things ever. Oh, this is great. It's insane. It's so good. It's one of my favorite records of all time. Definitely incredible one as a teenager being high and listening to that. It's like all time. So uh, you're driving around. Yes. So I'm, I'm driving home. Waves weren't good. I pull in to, I, I get off the, Main Street, come come down on my street, and I see, off to the right, I see a, a garage sale, and I just pull over, and I'm listening to, there's a song, the last song on the first record of the of Love and Rockets, uh, Seventh Dream of the Teenage Heaven, is called Saudade, and I was listening to that song. It's beautiful. It's like Sunday morning music. It's beautiful. It was Sunday morning, I I recall. I pull in. I turn off the car. You know, it's playing on the tape recorder in the car. I walk into this backyard, and I just come right through the gate, and right in front of me is David J. Wow. With his wife. How are you you in that situation? Do you get a bit sort of starstruck or like? You know what? I don't. I don't, I didn't at the moment. I, I just, wherever I was, I was just like, I just looked right at him and I said, David J. And he was just like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I, I just got out of my car. I was listening to this song, Saudade, off your first record. Right now, this is t- totally weird. We started talking. Um, he was very cool and he lived just up the way he lived right by where we no were. way that's amazing yeah. and then i and i was just i was just done with the seedling and i was just about to have a premiere at the la paloma theater and i said hey um i made a movie and uh if you would like to come to see the movie i'm gonna premiere it on this day i gave him my phone number and um he said yeah i'd like to do that and then he came and then he watched the he watched the first screening of the seedling ever. And then he asked me. He said, um, "Can I stay for the second screening?" And I said, "Yeah." And then we became friends, and he came over for some parties. And um, I love that because I love the I, I love the connections again. Like we were talking about this little theme, like you know the fact that it's there's a trail there, isn't there? There's a trail of like curiosity and. And that that's led you to that point, which is is brilliant. Yeah. Okay, I'm not done with my questions. I have Go on a, then. The question that I had for you, and I and I don't want you to like overthink this, but what's your favorite band? And I'll tell you mine, and why. Fucking don't overthink hell. it. Okay. Well, the first thing that came into my head was Spaceman Three. Yes. So I'll say that. Yes. I mean the perfect prescription is yes is like top yes. top 3 for me. 
And again, like very, very formative. Like I remember, I remember exactly where I was when I heard the first song I heard by Space and Three was "Come Down Easy" on a. Um, it was like a there's an old magazine called Vox in the UK, yeah. um, and they you know they used to do the CDs and they did this like psych CD. Funnily enough, I was thinking about this about two days ago because I was trying to remember the track list, and that was like actually incredibly sort of formative for me. Like because you remember what it was like back then without sound like a couple of old farts, but you couldn't, you know, it's quite hard to hear, to find music, wasn't it? That you'd heard yeah. of, you know, yeah. that, that CD had like Santana, Jefferson airplane, um, spaceman three red Crayola. Yeah. It's pretty like a lot, a lot, a lot of like pretty Osric tentacles. Yeah, um, Boo Radley's like, so, and anyway, Come Down Easy was on that. And I was just immediately like, what the fuck is that song? Um, so I went and went down the local um, indie emporium in Manchester, went and spoke to the guy and was like, and he's like, ah, oh, perfect prescription, mate. And I love the cover because the covers of yeah. the covers, obviously for me, like one of the great covers ever, really. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, I would say that was what immediately came to mind. Okay, that's good. That's that. That was one at the same time when I was list. That's at the same moment when I went and saw Love and Rockets and and Susie, and with those same group of friends. That was one of our favorite records. Yeah, like, I mean, it's yeah. it still sounds amazing as well. Perfect. Like it, 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 yeah. I, I, you, because I've, I've obviously got it on vinyl, but um, I, I listened to the, the whole records on YouTube, so I listened to that the other day. So yeah, I mean that sprung to mind. I'm going to stick with that. How about you? Well, for many years, for probably like 20 years, my favorite band was The Smiths. Ah, oh, you see, I could have said The Smiths as well. And and I, you know, like unfortunately. Morrissey's become such a dickhead that they cannot resume their spot as the top bill of all the bands ever. Well, he he very much tests that. Can you separate the art from the artist? Question doesn't he, Morrissey? At the minute, well, it, it fucked me up. And, and whatever, they're 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 lingering in the top four for sure, or maybe top. They maybe maybe in. I yeah, that's that 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 top three for me, definitely. That's the, that's yeah. the best. I mean, I don't think they made a bad song. I think they're incredible. No, well, I, I mean, you know, like a song like um, "This Night Has Opened My Eyes," like B side, didn't even the like in a in a river the color of lead immersed the baby's head. I mean, like what the fuck, you know? Like it's it. <laughs> It's, it's just and they were like so fucking young they were like especially johnny marr you know he's like 19 when he wrote that or something oh yeah um yeah i agree I, I would say i would say that i i said they were but they're not and i would just say like the velvet underground just took over yeah because in the end end of the day like the all the things that i really like from nice pop songs to total dissonance to like the full package of like the makeup of like everything I like in the darkness and yeah. Yeah. Lightness. Yeah. And 
everything. I feel okay, like- good qu- good question for you then. Favorite Velvet's record? I know what mine is straight away. Probably white, white, white. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, yeah. I actually, if I need to concentrate, I, li- I quite often listen to Sister Ray. <laughs> well, that's my favorite. That's my favorite song of all time. Well, I mean, it has that, like you say, it's got the. There's one point in that song where it it kind of, and you know the bit I'm talking about. It kind of like, you know, all the noise kind of coalesces and becomes like a different almost frequency i mean that you know that's where it becomes effectively like pretty atonal jazz but um that's that that is yeah that's up there isn't it you want to hear a funny funny story a short funny story about alex nost please i'd love to (laughs) he he told me that he would whenever like if he was dating a new girl and he thought that she was cool and he wanted to like, in order to see if she would like, she could cut the mustard. Basically, he'd put and Sister Ray on. <laughs> he'd, he'd put, I think he'd put European Sun on, um, right? For like, repeat, like forever. That would definitely test the. Uh... <laughs> if, she, if she could hang, then she passed that test at least. I mean, that's poppy compared to Sister Ray for sure no not really <laughs> not really i mean it's fucked I yeah think, i think that i'm pretty sure that was the one i know it wasn't sister ray but it, it whatever the one it was i'm pretty sure that was it it was fucked but i also i just but like you say, i just love you you know like um on white like white heat like here she comes now just beautiful pop song isn't it you know it's all it's it's all it's all in there yeah, yeah. what yeah. about the latest stuff then when they when they got rid of uh, John, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, I like. I think. I think. Yeah, I mean, I like it too. I mean, it's just a testament to to Lou. But like, I like the tension between John and and I mean, whatever. All of them together, they all had their own tension points, right? Yeah, uh, Mo and. Sterling and whatever. So yeah. Yeah. They're 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 my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We bet okay, let's let's go for another question after yeah. that in, very enjoyable interlude. Um right, let me look. Okay, Sam Haddad. Given that you say your art started from a pretty untalented place, which I think is a quote from our first conversation. Um What's your relationship to your older pieces of work now? Can you look at them without wanting to improve them? Another good question. Um, I I generally just don't like things that I did before. Like mostly, I'd give it a good 85%. Like, I don't know really if it's wanting to improve them it's more just like wanting to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. And not, but generally I, I feel kind of cringy about most things that I've done, even things like a year ago or two years ago. I'm like, ah, but that's not always true. Some things I do like, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know about improving because, because I feel like, 
I, th- I feel like things are more holistic. Like you can't really, you just have to, the whole thing needs to be different. Yeah. Than improving an aspect. Yeah. I never ends well. Does it? I don't think when people revisit old pieces of work, I mean, I'm immediately thinking of Roger Waters who just re-recorded dark side of the moon. And, uh, not that I've heard that and I've got no intention of listening to it, but apparently didn't end well. And, you know, when people go back and like remaster, remastering, not so much, but, you know, re-record their old records or, you know, try remastering and... can be bad. Yeah. Or... Especially, especially when it's of a particular era. Definitely. You know, going back and tinkering, I don't know if ever, cause I, I think I agree with you. I think it's, they're of almost the point is that they're of their time. Right. So, yeah. and it's all part of the, the story of, yeah. of, of the development really. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's like a, I think there's a remastering of like, um, fun house of the studios that really, like, why me. would you do that? Why I know. Would you, why would you do that? I was just like, Oh man, this is like the best thing ever in history. Why? And, and now it's not even as good. Yeah. It's not the same thing. That is a calamitously bad decision. Really? I, I agree. Okay. Uh, this is from Demi Taylor, friend of the show. Your films always seem to capture the beauty in the margins and the chaos and an overriding feeling of joy. Do you think there's a danger that the joy of irreverence is becoming lost in a homogenized surf culture? I mean, I think that everything's on the chopping block, you know, like I, I feel like the the corporatization idea that I was talking about before it's like that that's just another thing that we're dealing with in surfing and you know like most everything you see in surfing is trying to sell you something and if if all if everything that you're taking in has an appendage of sales it, the authenticity, authenticity, is generally hard to really be there. Um, so I, I don't know. I I'm not very inspired by the surfing media. Uh, it's terrible surf media at the minute. So yeah, I, I just, probably shouldn't say that, but it really is. I just I I I really all I feel like is like just going surfing and just being in surfing and, and enjoying the, the sensations and the feelings and, and, you know, being into those sensations and, and the adapt adaptations of engaging the crafts, and working on surfboards that work good and, you know, and maybe not paying as much attention because it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to relate to me and it might be my age or whatever, but, you know, and maybe my job 
since that's part of my job and maybe I just want to get away from my job. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not that invested or interested. Yeah. I, I, I could understand that. I can understand that. Um, okay. This is from Owen Tozer. Um, another very close friend of the show. If it's not too late, I would love to... Oh, he said that because he only posted this today. So I can skip that part. (laughs) I'd love to know how you choose what creative projects to prioritize. As an artist, filmmaker, photographer, and father, you must have a lot of ideas, projects, brands, and others all asking for your energy and attention. How do you choose what to pursue and what to say for later? I will say as well that Owen, has, uh, who's one of my closest friends, has a a two-year-old daughter. So I know this topic is on his mind Owen's like a director, photographer, artist, designer, you know, kind of very, very creatively versatile. So I imagine that's what's kind of driving that question. Mm. Um, the balance is not easy. Um, but I, I feel like the, the balance is, is within, was, is within, for me, the balance is within the, the, the different things that I'm doing um, together and them kind of in a way like fertilizing each other and not, not keeping focused just on one thing all the time. So uh, I think it's just trying to figure out what will be interesting at what interlude, you know, like, the other day I was discussing last week, I was discussing producing a record with a person and, um, and that would have gone into like the rest of this year, probably into next year. And I, re- I fully, and I started talking to some of the musicians that might be in part, part of the thing. And, and then I was, you know, like at the time when I started to talk about it, I've, I've been trying to talk about this for years with this person. And then it, started going again. And then we start, I started like moving out and like really trying to understand what the project was. And then I got further out into it and I just thought, you know what, this is too much. This is, this is too much for this year. I have, have enough on my plate. I, I feel like I need to like keep things off of my plate to, to let the things that are on my plate have sufficient room and I declined to produce the record and um, is that was that a hard call a little bit yeah but had bit head and heart kind of thing going on there maybe yeah yeah and you know and yeah so I declined and um yeah and it feels good you know like it just and and and, and it was interesting because from when I started thinking about it again and then started working through the conversations with other people about it, I was like, Oh, this is, this is in, in its infancy, it didn't seem that big. And then expanding out into it, it was like, ah, this is more than I need to take on right now. And, um, and without going through those steps, I wouldn't have known. And then, and then I kind of backed off of it. So, um, but it feels good, you know, I don't need another thing on my head right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm just finishing this movie is going to be, uh, is, is quite difficult and, um, it's going well, but, uh, 
yeah any anyone that's that makes movies knows what i'm talking about yeah um okay i'll be interested to see what you think about this question this is from matt um there is a difference between being creative and the type of creativity that defines or that crosses over and interconnects subcultures how do you nurture the conditions and space that allow for that second type of creativity? Mm. Matt, I don't think I look at it like that. I think, I think I just try to express things in the way I can express them and however they fall they fall. And if you feel like some of them fall into that second realm, that's cool. Um, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm really kind of breaking things down in that way. I'm, I'm just trying to do my best and express what I can and try to enjoy the process somewhat okay chris nelson uh curator of the london CERN film festival chris um in the late 90s there was a real overlap in the venn diagrams of surfing skateboarding and snowboarding with a healthy crossover culture since then there's been a real demarcation between board sports with creatives being funneled into specific pigeonholes even within surfing and skateboarding what keeps your output diverse enough to cover everything from cutting edge skateboarding to classic logging? Mm. Well, I mean, I would say in general, my, my creative movement came from skateboarding. I've, I've learned to be a creative person from growing up in skateboarding. And I first started longboarding when I was about nine. And, uh, and I always thought it was fun. And there wasn't a lot of people doing it. And uh, then I met Joel Tudor. And we had a mutual love of skateboarding and surfing. And uh, he asked me to work on a movie, which is a seedling. And, um, so that's how that happened. I mean, I, I just really adapted my skateboarding ethos and viewpoint and creativity into surfing. So I think it's just a natural bridge that's just been a part of me and whatever. I've always loved surfing and all types of surfing. So I don't know how it all worked out. But uh, it seems to have worked out. I don't. Uh, sorry, I probably didn't answer your question. But yeah, I think you did. I think you did. Okay, final one. So this is from. Sorry, I'm about to butcher this name. Diederik Lepere, I think it is. Sorry if I got your name wrong. Um, are there new things you want to say in art? And what are they? Hmm. 
Well, I think I kind of like touched on it in the earlier thing. Um, I just like, I don't know how to define like the dimensional space of, of like being a human or like what, what that, what it actually means. I have, I've had quite a few things in my life where examples of kind of like dimensional separation uh, and this is, this is really hard to explain, but I, I feel like we're living on multiple dimensions and I feel like we're multiple multi-dimensional beings, but by our societal conditioning, we're reduced to like living on like a partial part of like one dimension. And then if you, if you're trying to speak about like a multi-dimensional viewpoint or, or existence, like that's not very supported within our cultures to, to expand your idea. So I would say, um, and, and I, and I'm not, I'm not, not trying to be like, I, I don't, I'm I, like, I'm not a Christian or a Buddhist or anything. I'm not trying to say like, believe in the thing I believe in. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I, I don't have any words for it, but like, I'm interested in kind of keeping the space open for understanding of of a more dimensional existence or acknowledgement of that. So uh, I think that that's where I hope or where I think my work might go is like a little bit more influence of like exploring that space. And it doesn't have to be very literal. Um, I feel like I want to my work to go in a more impression based or emotionally charged movement and visceral kind of reactions and painting and, and, and art and, and, uh, film. I, th- I feel like my new, the new sort of film that I'm working on is, is quite, um, quite strong energetically. Um, people have like a pretty strong, that I've shown it to have a pretty strong response to it. Um, and I think, I think I, I kind of explored that in my last skateboard movie, yield destruction. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the same, but it's not far away from that. So, uh, yeah, just maybe, maybe exploring, um, those realms. And I, I don't know exactly what I'm saying or, or the words, to communicate exactly what I'm trying to say. I feel like words are often not very dynamic to. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the questions are about um, what's the message essentially. Mm. And it feels like that isn't how you operate really. You know, it feels like you're exploring whatever interests, preoccupation, thoughts that you have. And as you've pointed out in both of our conversations, like 
as humans, those things are constantly evolving. So obviously how that's expressed through your work is going to constantly evolve. So the idea that there's like a, a, a fixed message is obviously in that context, not, it's not really where you're coming from, is it? You know, but I get, I, I guess like that is, I don't know though. I don't know though, because I, I feel like maybe, maybe there's an underlying theme of expression that the people are picking up on that feeds their own ideas that they attribute to me in that way. Well, you have a voice, don't you? At the end of the day, what, yeah. for, for, for right or wrong, like whatever that looks like, wherever that came from, you do have a voice, you do have a perspective and it is a very defined voice. Yeah. And so maybe that's, that's the, the, the reason these questions are coming is because people feel like that, that it is defined or there is some definition. Yeah, I and, think so. And that's, and, and that's what I think is cool. Right. Is I, I feel like if, if I can make something and it's, and it's like, it's like a mirror to, to like whatever the person needs it to be, it can be. Yeah. Like, it's almost like whatever, like the Cockatoo twins or Tom York or, or Sam Precop or whatever, like you don't understand what they're saying, but you make up your own emotions you you attach your own emotions to the, to the to the words because yeah. not you know or cigaros or whatever you know yeah yeah and so you recognize I, you recognize the purity of expression yeah and you, and and you want to understand where it's coming from but by its very nature it's not something that's it. it's exactly. not it's not something that's understandable really is it other than on an emotional level so yeah interesting Which, that you raised some pre cop I was again been listening to a lot of seeing cake last two days <laughs> um a lot of funny little coincidences in this chat um oh, the biz the, were you listening to the biz i was got i went back to we like the um yeah. the old one because i, well, I do, just, you know, do you know the biz no I, i've not really i'm not super familiar no okay so we we is great but i think i think the ones that are the best is the biz and Nassau. See, that's the latest stuff, isn't it? Like, no, no, it's before those. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, okay. Then it's the, before, yeah, it's so that, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Wee's like late 90s, isn't it? Yeah, so, which is about when I got into it. So, yeah, okay. listen to those Biz, two. Records. Biz They're, and Nassau, yeah, okay. And, and and the first Sam Precop, and the first Sam Precop record. And both his first two. I mean, I like all of his stuff. I like his electronic stuff, his newer stuff. Um, but, uh, but the first Sam Precop record, which was uh, re or kind of probably, I don't know if it's produced or messed with by Jim O'Rourke. It's so good. Do you know that record? No. The the first Sam Precop record. Okay. Another it's it, that's it, that's probably one of the best records of all time. What's it's, the what? Oh God, a, that bit actually just went straight to my head, but um. The Jim O'Rourke record, come on, the the classic, twenty years ago, yeah, with the Women of the World, and yeah, um, yeah. I mean that's it's around, a, the, it's around the same time, yeah. That he, that he did that. I mean, he did 
think about this, Jim. If you listen to that, if you listen to that C and Precop record, it's incredible. And then he also did the Wilco record, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, he did, that's, didn't he? That's why Yankee Fox Strat Hotel is so incredible. Yeah, I mean, fucking hell, what a record that is, Jesus. Insane. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Put that up there as well. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. We did it. Thank you, Thomas. That was great. I'm Thanks sure, so much. I'm sure you didn't expect that curveball you just got. <laughs> I, I, I I liked it. That's that's, that's, that's 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 what this is all about. But yeah, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you taking time to do it. So there you go. That was me and Thomas, and I hope you enjoyed it. You can let me know, incidentally, if you did enjoy it by leaving me a comment on the episode page over at that aforementioned lookingsideways.substack.com. And while you're there, why not consider sharing it? There's a massive button that says share on every blog episode that I put out and people don't really do it which I find quite baffling um, if you do it it takes a click I'm willing to guess that most people listen to this have got loads of mates who are into the same shit that might probably enjoy it and if you do it you get the chance to win a paid subscription for free if you forward an episode or blog five times and your mate signs up you get free paid subscription I mean as a labor reward transaction that is pretty good actually um i've not really asked people to share stuff for a while because to be honest people are fucking rubbish at it um so i always feel a bit of a coont for pushing the hard sell with that and then i put out the skin episode a couple of weeks ago which had an amazing response to be honest and seems to have had a real big impact on the people who listened and i was reminded of the generosity of the skate community um when it comes to sharing and like sharing the love which is amazing, really, especially when you compare it to the slackness of the snowboard community and, let's face it, the bellendery of the surf community. So I thought I'd ask again if people want to help me spread the word on Looking Sideways by using the share button by the novel approach of vaguely insulting them as I do so. Hey, that's how we roll here in Housekeeping Corner. So what else has been going on? Well, I've made quite a lot of progress with the announcement, actually. I've recorded two episodes... It obviously turned into something that I really didn't expect, which is good. Um, so first episode is with my friend CJ Mira, who's doing the soundtrack. The second episode is with Patagonia. They're looking at it at the minute. Uh, and then once, I mean, I'll probably end up rewriting that second episode because that's what I've been doing so far with this, like writing a draft, recording it with my friend Ben Townsend. Big shout, Ben, who's helping me record this and then like listen to it and going okay well that needs a rewrite and rewriting it again then recording it again so that's kind of where i'm at with like episode two but the end is in sight which is quite exciting i've just got to do episode three now and very lucky to do an amazing conversation with the great john elkington and uh, louise i'm going to say roper because i can't pronounce her, her actual name um who's ceo of um volans which is the company that john founded i believe that was brilliant and that's got me pretty fired up for this whole thing. So, yeah, I'm currently going to give it, a, I reckon, a couple of months and it's done. Uh, which will be, yeah, which, I mean, I've like I think I said in the blog that I put up last week, I've got no fucking idea if it's any good. But I have played it to a few people who all seem very enthusiastic about it. So that's, that's good. Um, of course, there's a chance that Patagonia won't want to put it out. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So... That's happened. 
I was lucky enough to be asked to be a guest on my friend Chris Cracknell, his Thank You Snowboarding podcast, which he does um, through the Snowboard Asylum, very much close friends of the show. I did that today, actually, did that this morning. That was great. I mean, an hour and a half wafting on about snowboarding with an old mate. What's not to like? So that'll be out in a couple of weeks and I'll post that in 10 things when it is. Um, yeah, and then, so it's a year since I set up paid subscriptions on the podcast. And I've got to be honest, I was wondering what was going to happen when those initial subscriptions elapsed. Because a lot of people signed up for a year. It's like seven quid a month or 65 quid a year. I also do all these... Oh, squeaky chair in the shed i also do a lot of discounts and stuff to make it as easy as possible so it came up to a year and i was like well obviously everyone's going to unsubscribe and amazingly most people didn't i mean obviously a few people did that's fair enough you know um but most people renewed and i got i actually got more subscribers so that's great because it means i continue can continue should i say to turn down the ad reads i keep getting asked to do i'm getting asked I guess the podcast must be growing or something because I'm getting asked to do more and more ads. I do not look at the numbers. I know everyone thinks that I'll make that up when I don't. I've got no idea how many people listen to this. I know it's a lot because of the amount of feedback I get. But I don't look at that stuff. I'm not interested in looking at that stuff. I've got no interest in looking at how many subscribers on Substack I've got either. Or when You know, I, I get a message when people unsubscribe from a paid subscription because um, it's good to keep track of that with the rest of it. I've got no fucking idea. Um... So, but I guess it must be doing pretty well because I keep getting asked to do more and more ads. Um, I think I might be one of the only podcasts out there without adverts, right? I mean, I think I must be. Literally every other podcast I listen to has adverts. I think my friend Matt Pycroft binned them off on the Adventure Podcast, not so sure. But I'm pretty sure I'm like the only podcast that I listen to that doesn't have ads. And yeah, last week, so NordVPN and Manscaped, (laughs) classic got in touch like all the proper podcasts asking me if I wanted to do that hey everyone so let me tell you about this amazing product that I very definitely honestly use in my own real life and I'm not just mentioning because I've been paid to you know that shit that's in all the podcasts so they asked me to do that and obviously I said no and that was nice because I'm lucky enough to be able to get recompensed for the work that I do on this podcast by this brilliant looking sideways community who incredibly have decided to put their own hands in their own pockets and pay real money to support this thing, which is amazing, really. So thank you. Much appreciated. Don't take it lightly. It's not lost on me that people do that. And it does push me to think of ways to make this thing as interesting and as thought-provoking as possible. And it also like really encourages me to just keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, I got a message off... So at the end of the Skin episode... I'm not going to say I had a rant, but I sort of talked about like why I wasn't chatting about Gaza and my sort of take on that topic. I'm not going to go into that again because I went into that last time. And I got, you know, I got a few messages about that. Some saying like, well, you're a twat and other people saying like, yeah, more power and all that. And I got one interesting one of uh, listener Malcolm, who is also a paid subscriber. And he was a bit like, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, I don't always agree with you. You wind me up sometimes and I like that I like the fact that you you know that that it's it makes me think about my opinions and you know I'm a paid subscriber I've bought the book I've bought merch and I'm doing that to tell you to just keep doing what you're doing which was obviously fucking great so thanks for that and then I got another one another I got an email from listener Mike Wigglesworth who apart from having an absolutely sensationally good name um he's just signed up as a paid subscriber and 
He sent me this email which basically made my year. So I'm going to read a bit of it out. So Mike right? I mean, it's really long, so I'm not going to read all of it out. I'm going to read quite a bit out, though. Mike writes, Hi, Matt. I suppose I'm now classed as a long-time listener to the Looking Sideways podcast, having fallen down the rabbit hole around the start of the pandemic. Given the above, you might ask why the fuck it's taken me so long to get in touch and write an email, and you'd be right to do so. The distractions of modern living, house reno, parenting and working whilst desperately chasing changing rings wins even around the south coast are just a few that come to mind it's fair to say though that through all the highs and lows of the last four years which have been some of my most turbulent your podcast has not only provided a calming consistency but also enabled me regular opportunities to reflect upon a life largely shaped by british board sports culture looking sideways has opened that door again to allow me to reconnect with the characters that were ultimately very formative for me in that impressionable time of life Gendel and Tim on the regular festive specials have been a big highlight over the years now. And to think that Tim's voice is soon going to be coming out of my daughter's Tony box at bedtime. Well, if that isn't some sort of beautiful serendipity, then I'm not sure what is. To end, I just wanted to express a bit of gratitude for your continued contribution to what is fast becoming one of the only things left about the culture of this place we call home that I can legitimately identify with. Man, how amazing is that? Like, I've said this before, but... You know, I'm obviously a bit of a twat, really, and like, I am. This is this is incredibly self-indulgent. This thing, <laughs> and it's a great privilege to get to tool around having conversations with John Elkington and Louise Roper and Skin and Thomas Campbell. That's just like last fortnight, and you know, to get confirmation that people are into it in this way is just really, really amazing. So thank you, Malcolm, for the message on Instagram where you can find me at We Look Sideways. Thank you, Mike, for that email. And it's really much appreciated. So I just wanted to read it out and acknowledge that publicly. On which soppy bombshell I'm going to sign off for this week. So a big thank you, Thomas, and to everyone who's sent in questions. I'll be back soon with another episode. Nice one. (laughs) 